You're listening to episode 95 of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions. I'm your host, Natalie Liu, the writer of baggagereclaim.com, where I help people to increase their emotional availability so that they can move on from the past, feel confident and happier within, and show up for the relationships and opportunities that reflect their best selves. Hello there. Do you know what I want to talk about today? Ambiguity. Because it gets on my nerves. And I see how much pain and destruction it can cause in people's lives. If we could be that much clearer ourselves, believe me when I say that we will not find ourselves in ambiguous situations that just drag on and on and on. On the blog this week, I talked about how we at some point really have to draw our line with somebody who has been pretty ambiguous with us and is, yeah, kind of toying with us, you know, playing with us, you know, playing with our affections. And I talked about how I've been watching season three of the British crime drama Broadchurch, which anybody who's watched the series will know first, the first season, amazing. Second season, mm, third season, back on form. Unfortunately, it was also the final season. Anyway, there's a separated couple. I'm not going to give away much about the show and I won't be by telling you guys this, who they still hang out. You know, they have children together and all the rest but also he's still crazy about her and one day she's experiencing an issue so she basically meets up with him for a chat and she basically references the fact that oh that's why she calls him up and hangs out with him because you know he's always been really good you know at listening to her and all the rest and he basically says to her that she treats him like a dog you know whistle and he comes running and that he needs her not to do that. And what he really did there is something that all of us eventually find ourselves doing when we have been in an ambiguous situation for a while. We have to be clear. And we become clear at that point where we talk about the elephant in the room, where we actually say what has to stop continuing. First of all, just for anyone who is in doubt, ambiguous means that it's open to more than one interpretation. And so we might, for instance, think that we are in a relationship, but the other person might be thinking, well, yeah, we have a relationship in the sense that, you know, we are engaging with each other, but we're not in a relationship. This is casual for me. I don't see it in this way. Or it might be, we see it as, oh, this person's really interested in me romantically. And the other person is not feeling that way at all. And is actually thinking that, you know, we're just friends. From our side of things, we feel that our interpretation is the correct interpretation, or at least what we feel it should be. What we don't always account for is the fact that we, when we really want that interpretation to be the case because we don't want to deal with the alternative, we are then biased to really gathering information that we feel supports our outlook. How do we know we're being ambiguous? Well, our mind is often 
quite busy working away, wondering if our interpretation is correct. We're not necessarily sitting there going, is my interpretation correct? Is my interpretation correct? But what we might be thinking about is, is that what I think it means? Oh, hold on. Does that correlate with what I'm already thinking? What's going on here? Are they going to say this? Is he or she going to do this? So our mind is busy. We might not acknowledge it, but there can be these often low-level sources of anxiety, you know, trying to work out what's going to happen next, but also worrying maybe on some level that this might be a replication of the past. We might feel perennially confused. And so uh, one of the things that I have uh, talked about when I'm teaching people about how to cut down their people-pleasing is about how we use confusion to stop us from dealing with our feelings. Now, there's genuine confusion that arises when we're like, oh, what the hell's going on? But actually, what a lot of people-pleasers have done in order to avoid uncomfortable feelings, to avoid maybe sometimes having to look at what a situation actually is, is to be like, oh, I'm so confused. Oh, I'm so confused. Oh, I'm so confused. And it's to disguise the fact that, well, we need to take action. And so that confusion is a habit. It's not something even where we've gone, right, I'm just going to manufacture this confusion. It is a habit because that tension, that discomfort, you know, that that fear, the anxiety, this myriad of emotions that we uh, go through, rather than acknowledge what that's really all about or uh, sort of look at, okay, well, what's behind these feelings or what's really going on here? How can I take care of myself here? We just go, oh, I'm so confused. And in that way, we don't really have to deal with anything. So we don't have to look at why we're confused. We don't have to deal with why we're confused. We also, though, have to acknowledge that what ambiguous looks like is us being ambiguous. You see, we tend to, in situations like this, where, for instance, we know that there is something ambiguous about our dealings with somebody. You know, for instance, we think this is a romantic thing, but we actually aren't entirely sure, or we think that we're in a relationship, but nothing's actually been said about that. You can't have an ambiguous situation with only one person being ambiguous in it, because if the other person, so us, for instance, were was being clear, well, the situation couldn't exist. We wouldn't be around because the person would have had to raise their hand. And if after raising their hand, so basically, you know, it's like, yes, this is what it is, or no, this isn't what it is, we would have had to do something. And in those situations where somebody turns around and goes, yes, it's this, but then afterwards their actions contradicted or even words contradicted, then we, as the person who doesn't want to be ambiguous, would be like, oh, okay, hold on, this situation isn't workable for me. So what we have to acknowledge when we have been in an ambiguous situation is that we are in some way being ambiguous. That doesn't mean that we are responsible for the other person's ambiguity. What we are responsible for is our part in that, the fact that we clearly don't want to, in the wider sense, be in an ambiguous situation, but on a deeper level, something that we're afraid of, something that we're afraid of dealing with, something that we're afraid of having to face, is basically causing us to hint. A lot of people think that when they hint, that that is clear communication. They think that going what they feel is 80% of the way is as good as going all the way, except for their idea of what 80% of the way is might be somebody else's 50% of the way or 40, 30 or 20. 
their 80 feels uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable because it's like, oh, you know, uh, this is a kind of about as far as I want to go. I want to dip my toe in. I don't want to put my whole foot in the whole communication thing. So we think, oh, well, hint. We go, well, it should be really obvious based on the signs that I'm picking up that this is what I'm feeling or thinking. And so we rely on hinting. And that's where we end up running ourselves into a whole lot of problems. And yes, what we also can recognize as a sign of us being ambiguous is that we are in a situation which in our minds we might feel is really clear because based on our outlook, that's our interpretation. And it's like, well, and so it is. It's like, this is my interpretation. This is how it is. Doesn't matter if other things about what this person is saying or doing is contradicting it. This is my interpretation. This is my moral outlook. This is what I'm going with. And when we are being ambiguous, we kind of have this rigid outlook about how we're choosing to interpret something. And what we tend to do is we justify our interpretation while not actually exploring the opposite of what our interpretation might be, or certainly the alternative or alternatives. And so we will, for instance, be in that situation where it's like, are they just being our friend, you know, my friend, or are they just, you know, are we in a romantic relationship? And what we'll do is we'll keep looking for stuff to justify the fact that it's a romantic thing and ignore the stuff about that's indicating that actually it's not romantic. So let me share a few little quick stories with you. And they're all real. And see, I have tweeted them to protect identities of each of the people, but also each of these stories are ones that I've heard, not just from one person, but from numerous people over the years, like you're talking in the thousands. So the first one is, and obviously we're giving them pseudonyms here, Anna has, has been hanging out with James for over a year. And she has met his friends. He takes her out to family occasions. He's even taken her on, on work dues. And people think that there is something between them or that there is going to be something between them, but there hasn't actually been anything romantic yet. No moves have been made. Anna has then been taken on a romantic getaway. And it's, you know, it's not a crazy amount of time after when he has broken up with, yes, the woman that he was going out with for a little while. He wasn't going out with her for the whole time of their, of their friendship, but, you know, he was going out with this person. And actually, he's dated other people, just not Anna. Anna clearly is very interested in James, by the way. So James takes her on what appears to be a romantic getaway. Only when they are away, nothing happens. And from her side, she's like, oh my God, this is a total romantic getaway. Like there's no disguise in the fact that this is a romantic weekend away. And so then when they get back, yes, for some reason, it's all waited until they got back. She was like, what's the story? And he's like, oh, I just want to be friends. I'm not over my ex, blah, 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 blah. blah. You know, you get the gist. Yeah. Why would you be taking somebody on a romantic weekend away and not, thinking that that person might interpret that that is a romantic weekend away. But clearly something wasn't right there. Let's go on to the next one. So Tom goes to the gym and he meets a guy there and they chat while they are working out and all the rest. And after a while, they start hanging out outside of the gym. 
This guy is aware that Tom is gay. This guy is straight. He's broken up with his girlfriend. Also, a while back, a bit like Anna and James' situation. And so they are going out boozing, they're having lots of fun, and they get on like a house on fire. The thing is, Tom is starting to develop feelings for this guy. And what makes the situation all the more confusing, and when I say that this is a real story, believe me, it's a real story. What makes the situation really confusing and rather ambiguous is that these two spend not only all this time going out, but that they stay over together and they share a bed each time. Nothing happens while they're sharing a bed, but all this time Tom's going, like, what's going on here? Like, this guy, I think he knows that I'm, like, really into him. I mean, I, I feel like I've, like I've made my, my feelings rather clear and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting mixed signals here. You know, am I reading it right that this guy might be potentially interested in me? Maybe he's scared. Maybe he wants to explore this, but, you know, it could be all new and daunting for him. And so he then decides that after feeling rather tortured about this whole situation and feeling that if he doesn't say anything, he's just going to drive himself crazy, but also that it's clear that unless he gets absolutely clear about it, this friendship can't really continue. He basically admits how he feels. And he's like, I, he's like, I feel confused. Um, you know, we hang out so much. We, we chat all day by text. We phone each other all the time. We stay over at each other's places. You stay, you stay in my bed, even though you could basically go and sleep on the pullout in the, in the apartment. And I've developed feelings for you. And the guy turns around and goes, you got the wrong end of the stick, you know? And then it's like, oh, I met this girl like last week and I'm going to make her my girlfriend. Tom is totally confused. I'm wondering, what the hell happened here? Have I totally misinterpreted this? Then we've got Maddie. So Maddie is, instead of it being like always the bridesmaid, never the bride, she's like always the best friend or the one that they're never in love with or the one that they never want to make into the girlfriend. So she has had a spate of friendships with guys where she is cool to hang out with, cool for them to share their problems with, cool for them to, you know, I don't know, bounce uh, various different ideas and situations off her, cool to be texting, phoning, whatever, cool to even wheel her out for occasions, but she's not cool for the girlfriend role. She's not the one that they're in love with. And in each of these situations, she ends up developing feelings for the guy. And so she feels like there is flirtation between them. She feels like there's this kind of, uh, you know, this frisson between the two of them. And yet, nothing. So frustrated and committed to really getting herself out of her good girl pleaser mode, she says to him, you know, what's the crack? You know, what's the story here? And he's basically like, oh, um, you know, I'm basically really into this other girl. Funny how we didn't mention this beforehand. And about how, you know, she's a lovely girl, but that actually she's too nice for her own good and that he just doesn't see her in that way. She's devastated. She's like, what the hell's like wrong with me? Like, why do you guys like not see me in this way? Now, before I go on, I want to clarify a couple of things. I'm not saying that because you hang out with someone in what could potentially become a romantic capacity that they are obliged to, for instance, ask you out or, you know, to try to get into your pants. 
I'm also not saying that men and women can't be friends, nor that, that there can't be same-sex friendships where one of the parties or even both of the parties are gay or bi. What I am saying is that if they're not making a move and you've been assuming that this is a romantic situation and you expend actually a great deal of time, effort, energy and emotion wondering what the frick is going on in this whole situation, something is wrong. If it's ambiguous, it's a problem. If you're friends, you don't need to be ambiguous about the fact that you're friends. It's quite obvious that you're friends. A friendship is a mutual relationship between friends. If you're dating, it's quite obvious that you're dating because you're going out and dates or you are, it's like it's clear because you are doing things, not just like some of the things, but you're doing like, yes, you're going out and dates, but you might be having, I don't know, cheeky snark here or there, or yes, you might be sleeping together, or yes, you might be, I don't know, talking about, I don't know, all the things that you talk about when you are trying to get to know somebody before deciding if you want to be in a relationship. You talk about starting a relationship. You agree that you are both in a relationship or you have that conversation. You go, actually, this isn't going to basically turn into a relationship. Let's go our separate ways or let's be friends. So it's unambiguous. If you're in a relationship, you know you're in a relationship because you each both agreed to when it's out in the open. You don't just assume you're in a relationship. So if it's ambiguous, and so it is absolutely unclear, unstated as to what is going on, and you're afraid to ask, you're afraid to question, you are unclear, even if in your mind, based on your perception of things, that feels really clear to you, it is ambiguous. Each of the situations that I described there, I mean, there's a number of things, but there are three key things that you can note about these that really you need to pay attention to. One is this whole passiveness thing. Every single one of them, and not just in those three scenarios, but really in any situation where this is ambiguity, each of them was passive. They were a passenger. And so in any ambiguous situation, you have one person who is being passive and not wanting to, in their minds, push things for a fear, you know, for fear of looking, you know, needy or rude or impatient or dramatic or psychotic or whatever thing that they're telling themselves. So they don't ask questions and they often play the buffer, you know, the emotional airbag. And so they will be trying to basically, uh, you know, be a passenger to this person and going along with this person and, you know, playing emotional airbag and, you know, sacrificing themselves in the process. There is, as I've already talked about, this ambiguity. The situation, regardless of how uh, they might see things, it's open to more than one interpretation. And that's a problem because they're not in the same page. Because if each of your interpretations is different, you are not on the same page. That's not a match. Just like if actions and words are not matching, it's a problem. So if you're interpreting a, a situation as being romantic, and the other person, even if they are behaving in a romantic way from your perspective, they are thinking to themselves, this is a friendship. That is a problem. You're not on the same page and you either need to get on the same page or you need to get out because it's not mutual. If it's a friendship, it needs to be mutual. If it's a romantic relationship, it needs to be mutual. And if you're not on the same page, you need to get out. The other thing though, and this is the biggie, it's this whole thing of hallmarks. 
Now, you may recall, you know, on the blog and on the podcast, and I'll make sure I include links at the show notes, which will be at baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 95. I've talked about landmarks and how they're so different to hallmarks. Hallmarks are things that we see as being features of a romantic relationship. So for example, what it was that got me talking about the subject many years back was hearing from a woman who received flowers from a guy and was taken out for dinner, you know, every, I don't know, month or two for, I think it was like six months, a year or something like that. From her point of view, a man does not give a woman flowers and take her out to dinner unless they're in a romantic relationship. Yeah, this guy was screwing various different women, not just her. She saw it as, oh, well, these are signs of a romantic relationship while ignoring the fact that she was only going out to dinner with him once in a blue moon. Hallmarks, as I said, are those things that we see as features of a romantic relationship. But if the landmarks aren't there, which are uh, balance and commitment and consistency and intimacy and progression, then something is very wrong. Because if you've got the hallmarks without the landmarks, then you're not really going anywhere. And what we do is we get sidetracked. So Anna, for her, her hallmarks are, oh, well, I'm meeting the friends and we're spending all this time together and I'm being there for him and I've met his family and he's taken me on a weekend away. And surely you wouldn't go and take a woman on a weekend away if you weren't looking to be in a romantic relationship with her, if you didn't see her in a romantic capacity. And then obviously he would take her on that trip away. Tom, his hallmarks are like, basically he's spending as much time with this person as he would say, for instance, somebody who he was dating or in a relationship with. And on top of that, they're even sharing a bed. I'm not saying that two guys can't turn around and share a bed, but what was clear about the situation is that it was really quite ambiguous. So for him, Tom's kind of thinking to himself, well, I wouldn't do all of these things if I wasn't really interested in this person. And surely they must realize that if we're doing those things, then it must mean that they're interested in me when actually that's not the case. For Maddie, you know, she sees it as, well, there's a hallmarks of interest here because this person wants to basically spend a lot of time around me. He wants to ask my opinions about stuff. He wants to like get an ego stroke from me. He wants to, you know, uh, text me, call me, dump his problems on me. She sees that as the hallmarks of somebody who's romantically interested in her. On some level, she's going, well, why would a guy be hanging out with a woman like this unless he's got some sort of feelings for her? Because like, well, why not? And also she thinks to herself, but the best friendships or the best relationships often come from friendships. So if he sees me in such a good capacity that he would rely on me, that he would see me as such a good friend, that I must be girlfriend material. But the landmarks are not there. And actually, put aside even the balance, consistency, commitment, uh, progression, intimacy. Put that aside. You know, those are the landmarks of healthy relationships. But here's something. You could just take this as the key thing that's not being done here. They're not being asked out. If they haven't asked you out, if they haven't said to you, I, can you be my, will you be my boyfriend? Will you be my girlfriend? If they haven't said, I'm madly in love with you, let's go out together. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you think. It may have the hallmarks of it, but if the person is not taking action that matches that and being out in the open about it, there is a problem. So what can we learn here? Well, as I said earlier, if one party is ambiguous, 
both parties are ambiguous. And yes, it's very easy to focus on the other person's ambiguity because we're like, well, in my mind, I'm not being ambiguous because I know what I want or I know how I feel or I know how this looks. But if you ain't talking and you're both being ambiguous about that and you're kind of skirting around it and going around the houses and just leaving it, I don't know, open to chance that one of you will just suddenly turn around and clarify things, you're both being ambiguous. The thing is, this ambiguous situation could not prevail without the two of you being ambiguous. So the things that annoy us about others are often pointing back to something about us. When it gets on our last nerves that the other person won't be direct with us, isn't there a, little, a level of irony that we are not being direct with them? And so it's like, why is that person being all ambiguous with me? Well, why are you being ambiguous with them about the fact that they're being ambiguous with you? So if you are dealing with somebody and it's any of those situations I talked about or anything that basically has those, you know, those signs of ambiguity because there is a lack of clarity, there's an uncertainty that you're both on the same page, and actually there's a fear of clarifying it, then you need to look within and go, okay, I'm not responsible for their stuff. What's going on with me that I'm being ambiguous here? Ambiguous relationships, so here's number two, are built on rocky foundations of ambiguous friendships and hidden agendas. Often in these situations, there is an element of, oh, we're friends, oh, we're friends, oh, we're friends. And what can often happen is maybe there was a little bit of dating at the start. And then, I don't know, it was like, oh, I'm going through something. It's not a good time for me. I'm not quite over my ex. And it's like, oh, let's be friends. But really, the friendship was about one person auditioning in the hopes that at, at the point where the other person decided that they were ready for a relationship again, that they would be chosen. And so there's the hidden agenda right there. But also, when it's not that mutual friendship, but it's not clear, basically, if the friendship is unclear, the boundaries are unclear. So what you find in ambiguous friendships is that there are things about it that if you try to do them with some of your other friends, they'd be like, uh, that's kind of weird. But we readily go and do them with this particular person because it's an ambiguous friendship. And so we're not, if we look at all our other friendships, are we going around sort of playing girlfriend or boyfriend to the other person? Well, no. So why are we doing it with that particular person? So when we look at it, we can recognize, well, hold on a second. What are the origins of this, this setup? Like, how did we come to be in this particular place here? And often there is one or both parties not being over an ex or having some drama going on with a previous partner or whatever was going on that was then sort of buffered by this so-called friendship between the two. But also when you look at the motivations, it's like, oh, I'm going to be like this, you know, really super great friend, this, I'm going to be like the good girl or the good guy. I'm going to be like Mr. Nice Guy, Mrs. Nice Girl. And I'm going to do all of this stuff because I'm showing this person like, look, look at what you're missing out on. See me. Stop worrying about this person you used to be with. Look at me. And then what happens is we feel really resentful because over time we realize that we are not appreciated, that this person is still hung up on an ex or has even got hung up on somebody new. And it's like, what about me? I've been here all this time. I've sacrificed. I could have been out there dating other people. I could be in another relationship by now. And here I am with you and you're turning around and going, oh, you don't see me like that. Or I'm crazy about some other person. What the hell? So we then feel like really passed over. Like, why wouldn't you see me? And, and it's like, I, if I'm good enough to be your friend, why aren't I good enough to be 
like your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your future spouse. So we feel very hurt. Number three, ambiguous relationships always represent a breakdown in communication. A lot of going round in circles, going round the houses, a lot of hinting. Oh, we talk about everything. Yeah, funny how you never talk about the stuff that basically represents the ambiguity of the relationship. So I hear from so many people, oh, this person, talk, we talk about everything. We share all of our stuff. So how come you don't know whether this is a friendship or romantic relationship? How have you managed to talk about everything and yet nothing? How have you found yourself in a situation where you talk about everything, but you didn't find out that this person was basically sleeping with somebody else or they were getting back with their ex or whichever else? So you're talking about everything, but you're not talking about that. And when you really are talking about everything, you talk about the uncomfortable stuff. You'll go to the intimate and vulnerable places. And so what you have to ask yourself is, well, hold on a second. If I'm such good pals with somebody, if I see us like that, like we have this great thing going on, why am I so afraid of saying how I feel? Why am I so afraid of knowing where I stand? After all, if we value a relationship that much, regardless of what's going to happen afterwards, that the person turns around and says, I have feelings for you. I don't have feelings for you. Isn't it important to know where you stand so that you can truly value that relationship so that, okay, we don't feel the same way about each other. I need to step back a bit, repair my heart, and then I can come back to this friendship, but from a more boundary place. And I can then focus on, you know, invest in myself in something where my feelings are reciprocated. So I can make this a friendship and move on to something else. I'm going to feel hurt for a while. I'm going to feel bruised and all the rest, but at least I know where I stand. So what we have to ask ourselves is, why don't we want to know where we stand? If we value the relationship that much, why are we blocking ourselves from knowing where we stand? And it is, we're afraid to ask questions. And you know, back in the day, I had my fair share of ambiguous, uh, air quotes, friendships and relationships, you know, casual uh, dalliances. You know, I talked about this in my first book, Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl, and also on the blog about how I, back home in Dublin, was seeing, uh, and I say that word loosely, but I was seeing a guy for four years, on and off. And it was so ambiguous, it was ridiculous. I also talked about on the blog, and I make sure I link to this in the show notes, that nearly 20 years later, I went to a Hindu for one of my oldest friends who I used to go to school with, and another old school friend was there as well. And it turned out that she had dated the guy, like she was dating that guy, all these years later and he was doing the same thing and it was totally ambiguous and I used to give myself a hard time about it she acknowledged oh, hold on a second I'm being ambiguous here about it but also geez like this guy's I got a serious pattern so the thing is like I have my fair share of these things I even I had this whole thing going on of I would go out with a guy I would then have a friendship with one of his friends and then we would have an ambiguous friendship then there would be this confusion. Are they being friendly with me? Or is this like some sort of romantic lineup? This happened several times. And in the end, I learned to have really good, clear boundaries about male friends so that I wouldn't be in these awkward situations. And as I was talking about earlier on, in this breakdown of communication, there is a breakdown of communication with ourselves as well, because we focus on one aspect of the information that we're receiving. So we are biased towards the information that suits our own agenda. So we will look at the, oh, like that's the hallmarks. And then we will by, bypass the inconsistent words and actions. So, you know, we focus on the hallmarks because it suits us and we start communicating with us. And, you know, we don't engage 
in the sort of the critical thinking that we need, where it's like, okay, I'm seeing things this way, but is there anything going on here that has the potential to contradict my interpretation of things? Are there questions I need to ask here? Is there something that I need to get clear about? Am I being out in the open here? Because if we have a hidden agenda, we're not being out in the open. And we might be like, oh my God, it's like really uncomfortable to acknowledge that I have a, a hidden agenda. Some we're humans. We've all had a hidden agenda about something and, and will do at some point again about something else. We don't, we're not always aware of our motivations. The more conscious we are about that, the less ambiguous that we are. And also the less prone we are to being in ambiguous situations. And if we ever do find ourselves in one, we will call it. Adding on to number three, we now get to number four, which is where there is ambiguity, there are assumptions. So assumptions is like guesswork. If you live your whole life on assumptions, it's like going, I'm going to live my life on guesses that I don't really want to convert into facts. So we assume that we can make an assumption about what is going on because we go, well, you know what? I'll make this ambiguous arrangement. So for instance, the romantic getaway, Anna makes that arrangement with him. So she might go, well, um, he invited me on the romantic getaway, but she actually, in agreeing to go and going along with it, she was making an ambiguous arrangement. But she made that ambiguous arrangement because she was thinking, well, I'll make it and all will become clear after I make it. But wouldn't it be better in that situation to have a level of clarity about what is going on before making that arrangement so that you go in from a healthy, open place? Because it's like, would it really have caused some sort of significant harm to her to turn around and be like, hey, James, you know, thanks ever so much for the invite, you know, for this trip. It sounds amazing. Now, I know it can be awkward to have these conversations. You know what? It's better for us to have it now than have some weird thing go on on the trip or afterwards. Is this a romantic trip? You know, am I, am I reading this right? You can go yay or nay. Now, the thing is, if his invitation is sincere that you want to go on that trip, great. But if he's going to turn around and be like, oh, well, now you ask me if it's a romantic situation, but I'm not taking on the trip. Well, job done. You now know where you stand, but you also know, geez, like I really need to have some better boundaries around this particular person because like, this was a totally weird situation. The next thing though, number five, is that we also have to recognize about ambiguous situations is that most of us can't handle them. I mean, we can in the sense of when it suits our subconscious agenda of trying to avoid something, but that just leads to more pain, fear, and guilt. And the truth is, is that if we are entirely honest with ourselves about what the alternative interpretation is of things, and we know that we would struggle with the emotional consequences of that, we actually have a duty of care to ourselves to halt, to get clear about things with this person, or to not go. And this stops us from wasting our time because that's what a lot of these people talk about is feeling like I made a fool of myself, I wasted my time. But you know, we need these experiences, you know, the whole professor life thing, you know, about how, you know, we keep getting these lessons. And if we are basically are ready to learn the lesson, we will grow and move on. And so it takes a situation like this to actually show us our own ambiguity, to show us that actually we need to step into who we are and to not be so willing to sacrifice um, ourselves to kind of further somebody else's agenda. 
I think as well, it is also about recognizing the fears that we still have. Because if we are genuinely serious about being in a serious relationship, we can't be ambiguous about that. And how we end up going out with people for months or years or even decades, yes, I have heard from people that these things go on for decades for, how we end up finding ourselves in these situations is about that ambiguity, that fear of having that clarity. Because what would happen if we got that clarity? Oh, yes, we'd have to take a step. We would have to do something. We might have to confront something. We might, yes, have to deal with the pain of things not being how we want them to be. But if we deal with that, we also are liberated from remaining in something that just isn't serving us, that isn't good for us, isn't good for our well-being. I think the other thing is as well that we must acknowledge, which is number six, and it is an uncomfortable truth, which is ambiguous situations open us up to being used. Now, ask 95% of users whether they are using somebody and they will be like, no. And that, that small percentage of people who will admit to using you, be afraid. So the thing is, using feels like using. So if you feel used, you more than likely are being used. What using really comes down to is somebody else basically advancing their self-interests. They will console themselves about what they're doing because they'll be like, well, you know, they're getting something out of this too. And, you know, this is all nice and friendly and we get to eat out and they get attention from me and blah, 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 blah. Which also teaches something else. There is the user in the situation, but when we are the one who is being used, what we have to acknowledge is what are we getting out of this? Because if we are being used, At some point, we have to acknowledge what is it about how I'm engaging with this person that is opening me up to being at best taken advantage of and at worst abused. What we acknowledge is that when we are being used by somebody, at the time we gain a level of value from feeling that we are needed and purposeful. So Anna felt valuable because she was the one that he turned to all the time that even when he was dating other women and he was going out with this woman who he'd been chasing around oh yeah like Anna was still like there and she was like I'm gonna bide my time and I'm gonna wait so there you can see that not only did she feel valuable purposeful needed with him but it also you recognize that hidden agenda with Tom you know in his situation he also felt valuable because he felt flattered as well by this friendship that he had going on with this guy and I think actually there was a level of thinking geez like if something is going to happen between us and for instance I'm going to be the first guy that he's been involved with like like how like special and amazing would that be but he also if he was entirely honest with himself and actually you know Anna could say the same thing as well there is also something about ambiguous situations where part of the reason why we are ambiguous is because we are hiding out from something else in our life we're we're afraid to get clear about something else And so we distract ourselves in the ambiguous situation. So 99.9% of the time, when we're on the romantic side of things, it is really about, oh, I'm going to divert myself to this situation because then I don't really have to deal with my fear of being me, my fear of taking the next step and being truly open for a mutually fulfilling relationship. I can involve myself in this ambiguous situation And then, yes, in some instances, be like, yeah, well, I blame you for the fact that I was basically like caught up in this for all this time. But it suited us. 
to be in that ambiguous situation because we didn't have to get clear. And sometimes we are afraid to get clear as humans because, well, we're humans. And when we get clear, we then have to go and take action. And sometimes we are so afraid of misstepping. We're thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't know what all the steps are. I don't know what the perfect steps are. I've been hurt before. What if I get hurt again? Oh, I know. I'll just like divert myself here because like how amazing would it be that I would be in this ambiguous situation and then we get the fairy tale and then we get hurt. We have to acknowledge that yes, it isn't right that somebody uses us, but it's also not right that we allow ourselves to be used. We are not, not always aware of what our hidden motivations are for what we do. But I would urge anyone who has found that they seem to be a shoe in being the one who is used to look at what am I always trying to get in these situations? And I've talked about this before, that if you keep experiencing the same thing different week, in that sort of groundhog day, that is sameness. And it's telling you that you keep going into situations trying to get the same thing, trying to be the same thing. And as a result, that's why you get the sameness. If you keep finding yourself being taken advantage of, being abused, being in these ambiguous situations, you're not responsible for what the other person is doing. But if you start looking at what your underlying motivations are, looking at, yes, what the baggage is behind it, something I talk about in the second episode of the podcast, you can then see why you are open to this. Like, why do I need to be needed in this particular way? Why do I need, why do I feel like I'm purposeful when I'm, air quote, supporting a person in this way? And how is that setting me up for a fall? How is that basically causing me pain? Because of course, the roles that we play, and again, I talked about this a few episodes back, basically cover up the hurt and loss that we have experienced in the past. But the more we see being us sort of having a function of playing a particular thing in our relationships is actually the more hurt and loss that we experience. So all we're doing is extending our pain. So coming back to this whole ambiguity and being used thing is that if we don't want to be used, we have to be absolutely unambiguous. And that is actually the key to breaking the pattern of being in an, in an ambiguous, or sorry, breaking the pattern of being in ambiguous relationships and situations is that we have to be willing to step up. Assertiveness is about representing who we are with uh, integrity, with honesty. And honesty is the truth with respect. We often see being assertive as being aggressive. So it's like, oh, I'm being pushy and I'm being dramatic and I'm being psychotic. No. Aggression is when we basically try to influence and control other people's feelings and behavior by force. When we are assertive, it's about representing who we are without trying to control what the other person does or does not do. When we are representing who we are, we can then pick up the feedback from various situations and go, okay, so I need to speak up here and be willing to take action. That means that when you're in an ambiguous situation, like any of the ones that I've talked about here, you'd be like, okay, I'm in an ambiguous situation. What's going on with me here? You'd acknowledge all of that and then you'd be like, okay, I'm going to have to gracefully bow out of this or make my position clear. And so you might turn around to that person and be like, okay, I really value our friendship and I've had a lot of fun hanging out, but I'm actually uncomfortable with the fact that things seem to be a little bit unclear between us. And so sometimes I felt a level of confusion because it feels like something romantic is going on between us when in actuality, that's not the case. I don't want to get hurt, but I also don't want to end up feeling resentful towards you. And as a result, that's why I really, really need to step back here. 
you might be honest with somebody who you really do believe that you have that friendship with and say, listen, it's not that I'm saying that I don't want us to be friends, but I am serious about wanting to be in a serious relationship. And if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, I wholeheartedly respect that. But we have to make sure that we're boundaried and fair with each other. We can't do this whole pretending that we're in a relationship thing because that's where confusion comes from. And I need you to not do that with me. And then we need to not do that to ourselves. And when we can be honest about that, we can actually start to accept the truth about the situation. And so, yes, sometimes it does require that conversation. I've had my fair share of conversations with guys in the past where I've had to admit, you know, listen, you know, I know we've been hanging out doing this whole friendship thing, but actually, you know, it's a bit awkward, you know, and actually I didn't really appreciate it when you basically made that move on me and then gave me a hard time because I didn't want to sleep with you. If you are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, as uncomfortable as they can be, they're also liberating in the sense that the sky doesn't fall down. And I would also say as well that if you end up having a conversation with somebody where you let them know your position, and remember, when we talk about our boundaries, we don't go, my boundaries this, my boundaries that. We just let people know the state of play about things. Let people know what is and isn't permissible. If you turn around to somebody and you basically in effect, let them know that you're not open to being used in the way that they have been, and they basically stop being around. (laughs) Thank your lucky stars that that's happened, because then you are absolutely clear about what that person's intentions were. And yes, it can be hurtful, because it's like, oh my gosh, like you really were using me, or you really were this. But the thing is, is that if our higher intention is to be in fulfilling relationships and mutually fulfilling relationships, If, for instance, we want to be in that romantic relationship or we certainly don't want to be in situations where we're being taken advantage of or being abused, then we have to be willing to let go of people and recognize, you know what, thank you for being around and showing me this thing about myself and putting me in a position where I've had to kind of speak up for me because now I'm going to keep speaking up for me and ensure that I'm not in this situation again. And, you know, when you can be unambiguous with you, you will find that you gravitate to people who are unambiguous with you too. And remember that not being ambiguous doesn't mean harsh. It means that when people are are clear in who they are, that they represent who they are. They represent their needs, expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions. That doesn't mean trying to rule other people with them. It means living those. So if they know that actually they have plenty of friends and they're certainly open to making new friends, but what they don't want is some ambiguous friendship, kind of, or an ambiguous sort of semi-relationship situation masquerading as a friendship, then they won't participate in that. So when we represent who we are and we don't go along with things, we don't play passenger and we don't be like, oh, well, he said this about his ex-girlfriend. And so I'm basically going to position myself as best female friend who never makes waves. When we're like, actually, I don't really care what he said about his ex-girlfriend. I'm just going to basically be who I am then we can be okay. We get hurt when we are ambiguous about who we are and then it's unclear about what we want. And it's like, well, how can we make sure that it's clear about what we want if we weren't being clear about it in the first place? So that's it for this week's episode of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And I will say, if you're serious about being in a serious relationship or you're serious about really just living as much of who you are as possible. You've got to accept no substitutes when it comes to that serious relationship, but you've also got to ensure that it's you that you're putting out there, that you're being clear about who you are. Take care of you. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions, which is, as usual, produced by my little brother, Sean, who also came up with the theme tune for the show. If you have been really touched by this topic, I would love it if you would share the episode on your network, or you could even email it to a friend who you think it might resonate with. You can reach me on Facebook and on Twitter as Baggage Reclaim. And I am also on Instagram as Nat Lou. That's N-A-T-L-U-E. Plus, you can drop me an email at podcast at baggagereclaim.com. All of these and more are on the show notes at baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash 95. If you would like a full list of episodes, you can go to baggagereclaim.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can also find information about how to subscribe to the show and also about how to rate and review it. Remember that every little bit helps in spreading the word. Whatever you're up to over the next seven days, do it with love, care, trust and respect. See you next time.